Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Pine. Make It Pine. M-I-P. With Massimella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Pine. Get woke. My guest gave and of course the majority whip for the House representatives from the state of South Carolina. The Honorable James Clyburn joins us on Make It Plain. Congressman, how are you, brother? It's going pretty good. Uh, we were all sort of getting acclimated, you know. We knew what the end was going to be and we knew it wasn't long. It doesn't make it any easier. John and I were up and down together for 60 years. And um, we often joke about whether or not we ever thought back in the 60s and 70s that we'd be sitting here in the United States Congress uh, serving together. He was here for over three decades. I'm approaching three decades. No, we didn't. We dreamed it, hoped for it. But I don't guess we had enough faith in that 11th chapter of Hebrew. Substance of things hoped for. Uh, evidence of things unseen. We both have read that a lot of times, but I don't know if we really had internalized that as much as he'd internalized nonviolence. Mm-hmm. So we came here together and we served together, and it's a great being with him. You, by the way, because you were happy birthday, you just celebrated your 80th birthday. My 80th, yes. John turned 80 back in February, uh, and I got there last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are uh, pretty close to the same age. Tell us how you and John Lewis first met. Well, John and I first met in October, October 15, 1960. It's an interesting thing about that October 15, even that month of 15. John and I had been up in Raleigh, North Carolina in the spring of that year. That's when the first big gathering 
of students who were challenging the status quo. A lot of people remember on March 1st, 1960, is when those students uh, up at North Carolina A&T, down from here, they challenged those lunch counters in Greensboro. Well, a couple of days later, we made the same effort in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And that started, uh, those things were spreading out all over. They were doing it in Nashville, you name, wherever there was a, an HBCU, these kinds of activities started. So we felt that we couldn't be effective doing it haphazardly. We needed to organize. So we, the call went out and we met in October 1960 at Mohawk College. Now, by that time, a lot of people had their ideas about how best to do it. John had bought in to nonviolence as being uh, preached by um, Martin Luther King Jr. Well, as you can imagine, uh, there were some among us who felt that that wasn't the way to go. I don't know what we thought we were going to do with the violence. We saw what happened. Sooner, wasn't too long before the violent proponents took SNCC and kicked John out as chairman. John was elected chairman of SNCC in like 1963. Now, that first meeting, the memorable thing about that first meeting was when this disagreement balled over, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. came down to the campus to meet with us. And we went into a meeting around 10 o'clock in the evening, supposedly for an hour. Uh, we didn't come out of that meeting until almost 4 o'clock the next morning. That's when I had my Saul to Paul transformation. And that, to me, was the most memorable, one of the most memorable weekends of my entire life. So John and I, uh, after SNCC got taken away, I was up in South Carolina and I was chairing the voter education project in Charleston, South Carolina. John was the rector of his, he went to work for the Southern Regional Council and a spin out from the Southern Regional Council was the voter education project. And John became director of that. And we were going all over the South registering people to vote. And at the time they walked across that bridge in 1965, only 2% of black people in Alabama were registered to vote. And the reason was because you had to pass a literacy test. And guess what some of the questions were? How many jelly beans are in that jar? How many bubbles are in a bar of soap? That's the way we were treated. Our parents and grandparents were treated when they wanted to vote for their government. That's the kind of stuff that incensed John. And John set out to do something about it. And he did, brother, he did. Sure did. So that first meeting at Morehouse, that's the one, I think, that, was that the one when Marion Barry was there? Yes. Marion was there that night, the Mitchell brothers. The ones I really remember, the Mitchell brothers uh, up in um, Baltimore. Two of them at that meeting. John Lewis, there were uh, uh, folks from almost every college and university. There were about seven of us from Orangeburg, South Carolina State, and Claflin. And some other noted people, James Bevel was there, uh, Diane Nash. They were down at Fisk in, in, in Nashville. So people from all over were there. More MIP after this message. And this grew out of what happened at the lunch counter sit-in earlier that year, you, as you were saying, in yes. North Carolina. Now, you all um, 
was it before or after that first meeting in Morehouse, you and others were involved in some actions in South Carolina, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. What was before? March 1960 is when I went to jail the first time. And of course, some good came out of that. That was the day I met my wife. Right. Uh, we met uh, in jail on March 15, 1960. And that was before we went down to House in October of 1960. And then after that, it's when we started challenging some of these laws because, you know, they were locking us up for trespassing. Uh, you, you couldn't be trespassing in the five and dime store uh, when you sit down at the lunch counter and you weren't trespassing uh, to buy school supplies. So uh, they changed a lot of the laws around the South and they came out with something called breach of the peace. And so we started challenging those laws. And the last time I went to jail was in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, challenging a new breach of the peace law in South Carolina. Now, if any of your listeners or lawyers or chances are, when they were in law school, they studied a case called Edwards against South Carolina. That was a landmark case on breach of the peace. The Supreme Court handed that decision down in 1963. And if you look at the arrest record, there was 180, I think 188 of us arrested that day. If you look on the blotter, as I have, you see the name of yours truly on the blotter that day. I spent three days in jail because of that arrest. And that's quite frankly the last time I went to jail. But I learned a lot that day because that was the day, the reason we stayed three days in jail because the guy who was supposed to be raising the bail money, Hyde Quincy Newman, Rather than staying out of jail and raise the bail money, he went to jail with us. So you can't raise no bail money in jail. And so I, I often tease him about that. I said, Reverend Newman, you didn't play your role well. You started playing my role. My role was to go to jail. Your role was to raise the bail. So we could have gotten out there the next morning if you had stayed out there and raised the bail money. We laughed about that for, for a long time. Ida Quincy Newman became the first state senator from South Carolina since uh, post-Reconstruction. And so he was a great guy. And I think you got to know Ida Quincy Newman. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Tell us about the bill you've introduced, the John Lewis bill. Well, what we did today, they asked me, well, you want a robust new bill? Or do you want to uh, just name H.R. Uh, 4 for John Lewis? And I told them that I'm going to put John Lewis's name on that bill. And that's what I want to do. I didn't want to have another debate about anything. Uh, and so we got everybody to agree to a unanimous consent. So by 1230 today, I went to the floor and put up the resolution and asked for unanimous consent, and I got it. So the entire House of Representatives has now agreed to name H.R. 4, the John R. Lewis, uh, Lewis Voting Rights Act. Now, uh, Senator Leahy, uh, over in the Senate, uh, has done something similar to put his name on the act. He reintroduced the act. No, we passed it. And it's not sitting in the Senate. So he's introduced the act over in the Senate, which means that if they were to pass it, we would 
need would not need uh, any kind of a conference. Well, I would love to see what the Senate does. Is it troubling to you that it's stalled in the Senate and Mitch McConnell seems opposed to bringing it forward? You know, it is troubling to me. But let me tell you this. The reason we got the 1965 Voting Rights Act, which was signed into law by Lyndon Johnson on August 6th, I believe, 1965, is because what John Lewis and 600 people did in March of 1965, when they went out and put their bodies on the line, we got that uh, voting rights act. We never would have gotten it otherwise. I'm saying to people, if Mitch McConnell refuses to pass this act, let's do this year, as John Lewis and those 600 people did in March 1965. We don't have to march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Let's march to the polls like we'd never marched before. This ought to be our incentive. I've been asking people, let's dedicate this election year to John Lewis. Let's go out and do as John Lewis will have us do. I'm asking every congregation, every church, synagogue, temple, everyone, Start now, adopt the precinct, say that I'm going to make sure that my congregation get everybody in this precinct to the polls, every fraternity, every sorority, every Masonic order, or to start now adopting precincts. I've got churches, uh, the precinct I live in in Columbia, the Greenview precinct, got 1,700 uh, voters in it. We've divided those voters up. And we've given uh, uh, churches, 10 different churches, uh, given them a list of precinct, uh, people uh, in the precinct. We want you all to make sure this congregation get everybody on this list to the polls on election day. We can do this. And we can turn out a vote like we've never seen before. I talked to Andy Young earlier today, and he was telling me when he ran uh, for Congress, it rained all day. And he thought surely he wasn't going to be able to win, but he got 74, he got the vote because 74% of the African Americans in that district voted. Now, what's been happening now is we're coming in at 40% and 50%. If you start voting 75 and 80%, and there's no reason for us not to vote 95 to 100%, yeah. we'll win these elections and we'll have a new Senate. So if the Senate does not pass it, Let's get a new Senate. More MIP after this message. And that we know that that road begins in South Carolina. You know, our young brother Jamie's running. And listen, we know if your if black folk in your state show up and show out, that's a whole nother thing. Jamie would get elected. Uh, we but the Cunningham uh, up in North Carolina is running. Uh, head of Tillis up there, uh, that will give us a seat. We've got uh, an African-American running in Mississippi. we got one running in Georgia. And they're running great races. That's right. Yeah. And they're raising good money. Yeah. Uh, Jamie is out raising Lindsey Graham this past quarter by $5 million. That's right. I've raised him almost a million in the first quarter. 
and he is running neck and neck in some polls. We can win this thing. Yeah. If we turn out to the polls. So, you know, uh, you're minister, I'm a minister's son. And my dad used to tell me all the time, son, you pray every day for good health and strength. And the good Lord gives you some modicum of good health. Get up off your knees and work. And so what we are asking people, pray for good health and strength. Pray for good weather. But irrespective, let's work and get this thing done. We can do it. Yes, sir. Lastly, you remember where you were and what you were doing on March 7th, 1965, when you heard about Bloody Sunday. On Bloody Sunday, we were all up watching. I was sitting in the safety of, um, I was living in Charleston uh, at the time, watching. We knew, you know, I had, I kind of left the movement, that part of it, after 1961, I got married in 61, Mignon, who you know, my daughter, came along in 62, and uh, I was teaching school. And so I never stopped registering people to vote, never stopped voting, running campaigns. Uh, I ran the campaign for the first African-American to serve on the uh, Charleston City Council since you and Divine. Didn't know it at the time. It turned out to be my wife's cousin. So I started working in politics. And so I did not go to Selma. And I watched the, the movie Selma with my granddaughter. And it's kind of interesting. You're sitting there watching the movie together. And when the scene, remember there was a scene there, the, the character, the guy playing John Lewis? Yeah. Uh, and there's another guy that John Lewis is arguing with. That was James Foreman. James Foreman was my best friend in SNCC. I was, I was even closer to him than I was to John Lewis. And so my, grand, my granddaughter asked me, Daddy, who's that man arguing with John Lewis? She didn't think about his arguing with John Lewis. And I looked at her, smiled, and I said, well, that's James Foreman. And then, um, he was my best friend uh, back then. And she looked at me kind of funny and didn't say another word. Uh, I think she didn't like the company I was keeping. <laughs> you know, that's a small world. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but... I think it was it was 92 when they had the first elections for shadow senator for D.C. statehood. Right. And I managed James Foreman's campaign. He lost. I wasn't a very good campaign manager. But James Foreman ran for shadow senator in 92. Yeah. yeah. And well, I you know, that's the year I was running. I was, I was running for Congress. That's the year I got elected. That's right. And when I came up in 93, Foreman... You should come by my office. I was over in the Cannon office building uh, about once a month. Yeah. You would come by and just sit there at the desk and we would talk. Yeah. Uh, by then, uh, he'd, um, he'd begin still feeling it, feeling hell. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize you knew Foreman. Oh, man. Yeah. He was my man. Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize how close the two of you were. This oh, was, yeah. We were very close. Well, it's a small world, and I'm, I'm no I'm a blessed beneficiary to have spent time around you and him and John Lewis. Right. Um, in closing, what do you think, and you've given us the charge, and I guess that's it, 
what, what would you say is John Lewis's enduring legacy for all of us? Well, it is that John said all the time, the vote is precious, almost sacred. John, if we really want to argue, uh, I'm going to honor his life, his legacy, if we were to turn this country around at the polling place this year, I think I'll be ready to put statues in every polling place in honor of John Lewis. John, we really ought to do this. We ought to dedicate ourselves, everybody. So I'm going to do my shit uh, to make the election of 2020 a referendum on the life and the legacy of John R. Lewis. Amen. The Majority Whip folks, James Clyburn. Thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate All you. All right. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.